So I wanna, I wanna start off today, usually I start off with a scripture and then uh, we get into it, and, but today I wanna start off with a, with, a, with, a, with a story, okay? And it's a story about a guy called Pol Pot. Have you heard of him? His name is General Pol Pot. And uh, General Pol Pot was, a, uh, was the general secretary of, uh, of, of a, the communist party in Cambodia. And General Pol Pot was responsible, are you listening? This will get your attention. He was responsible for over 1.3 to 3 million deaths in Cambodia. Single man. All right? General Pol Pot, who grew up very normal, who grew up as a, uh, and, and became a teacher, a school teacher, became one of the most sadistic people that have ever, have ever lived. I mean, they compare him to Hitler. I mean, in fact, he is almost the same. His, his, uh, the reason this man did what he did was because of an ideology that confirmed to him that he was doing the right thing. So I was interested in finding out what... So I went to YouTube and I, and I was like, okay, is there any interview of this guy? I want to hear him speak. I mean, if he, he has done this... I want to know what he sounds like, you know, I want to, I want to know what, what this man was carrying. And in the interview, he, he, the, the interviewer is interviewing him for the last time. And the, the sad story was when the guy was dying, people were mourning for him. But they were not mourning for him because he was a lovable person. He would, they were not moaning for him because, oh man, this guy, you know, he brought so much of, of breakthrough in my life. They were moaning because this man did not stand trial for all the deaths of the people. He did not stand trial. Can you imagine? Three million deaths. It was a genocide. Literally, he annihilated 25% of the population of his country. So, I was like, I was curious to know what this guy sounds like. So I'm watching the interview and the guy was like, hey, this is what everybody is accusing you of. It's like, you've killed so many people. What do you have to say about it? And he looked right into the camera and he says, man, no, he didn't say man, but he said, you know, I'm a man of peace. <laughs> I'm a man of peace. He said, do you think this man sitting in front of you, talking to you, is capable of killing over three million people. Conscience, remember, I'm talking about the heart. And so the guy's saying, but we, they have evidence. People are saying that you're the one who's authorized these killings. And he said, I've not done anything wrong. I've made mistakes in my life mistakes in my life, three million people, mistakes in my life, but he said, my conscience is clean. Come on, man. Very interesting. He said, he's looking at the person dead straight in his face, and he's saying, my conscience is clean. I've not done anything wrong. Nobody could put a case on the guy because his conscience is clean. Oof. He has authorized over three million people to die and he could, nobody could take him to trial. And so when I watched that interview, I mean, I was, because we were in this series, I mean, it shuddered me. I was like, how can a man 
live a life without feeling guilty about something he's done. Without feeling regret of, of taking the life of somebody else, let alone just harming someone. You're taking their life, not only just one, three million people. How, and how does he go to sleep at night knowing that his conscience is clean? And so the Lord began to talk to me about this thing called the evil conscience. That there, is a, there, is, there are people on the planet whose conscience it doesn't prick them, whose conscience doesn't convict them, whose conscience doesn't actually say anything to them that they're, what they're doing is wrong. Let me tell you how it starts. It starts off by a single lie. You lie to someone and you get away with it and your conscience gets seared. And then you keep lying and lying and lying and lying and lying to a point where now that part of your heart that used to speak the truth now is speaking lies as the truth. Come on now. So now this man, you, you need to understand like last week I spoke about that God tells Cain, Cain watch out because sin is at the door of your heart because its desire is for you. And so now you have Mr. Paul Pot, who was a school teacher, and it would have probably started there where his desire was to be great. His, he wanted his name great, but never wanted his face to be seen. He would change his name often because he, he, he felt like if I change my name and my personality changes, then I confuse the enemy. You, you understand, it's not normal to think like that. And so I, I was curious as to God, how can, how can this man live without the fear of God, without the fear of the law, without fear of judgment? And the Lord said, son, an evil conscience, are you listening? An evil conscience is in a person believes that the truth is a lie and the lie is the truth. When the person's heart gets seared and it's repeatedly done in, in a certain area, Satan comes with a lie and he positions that lie at your heart. And when you believe that lie, ladies and gentlemen, evil begins to creep into your heart. This is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. Oh, come on. Listen, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that before you knew Jesus, you had an evil conscience. The day you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and his blood washed you clean, he washed you clean from everything that was evil. But there are Christians today sadly to say, who are still operating under an evil conscience. They take the truth of the word of God, they take one verse from one part of the Bible, another verse from another part of the Bible, and they make their own doctrine that suits themselves. An evil conscience will make you the focus. The day you begin to lose your focus of serving people, and people need to serve you, you will separate yourself from people and you will separate yourself from God. Let me tell you something. If you separate yourself from people in a church, you will separate yourself from God. 
Nothing can separate God from you, but you can separate yourself from God. You can do it by separating yourself from people. An evil conscience is a conscience that really has no... It doesn't tell the, the person that what he's doing is wrong. But on the, it's the opposite of a good conscience. Are you listening? An evil conscience is the opposite of a good conscience. A good conscience is clean. A good conscience is sensitive to God's voice. It's sensitive to, to, to people around you. It doesn't hurt people. In fact, when, when a good conscience does a mistake, sins or makes a mistake or lies or something, the, the conscience begins to prick you and tells you, ah, oh, what you've done is not right. You've got to repent. You've got to repent. You, what you've done is not right. How many experience that? Right, so this section, anything? Put your hand up. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. I just need to know who I'm preaching to, right? So which means all of us have a good conscience and when we do make mistakes, which is absolutely okay, our conscience pricks us and tells us, oh, what you've done is wrong. See, but an evil conscience, sorry, and a good conscience does this. When you do, do good. The good conscience encourages you to do more good. Do you understand? When it's like, it's like, it's that feeling when you, when you drive into a petrol station and you look at a, a person who, who's filling fuel in your car and he's sweating in the hot sun and you have an ice cold drink in your car and you take that drink and you give it to him. That feeling of, of, of like, wow, man, awesome. You look at the, the joy in that person's face and, and he, he appreciates your love. In that moment, that feeling that you get is your conscience rewarding you. Do you understand? It's a good conscience that's rewarding you. But here's what an evil conscience does. An evil conscience encourages you to do more evil. Do you understand? That's why you have people who, who claim to have an authority over a land start killing everybody in the land. And the more people they kill, the more they feel like they're growing in authority. Oh, come on. So the more people they kill, they keep killing people, keep killing people, keep killing people. And now they think they've, wow, now we, we are the boss of the land now. Until some other boss comes and whacks them out. Usually it's America. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. See, but, but an evil conscience for a person to have those kind of actions it comes from an ideology and that ideology is forms the conscience of the person are you listening to me do you understand somewhere down the line Paul Pot would have heard Satan tell him that killing people who are smart who have glasses on who are educated do you understand is a good thing are you listening are you sure you're listening? Yes. Somewhere down the line in his life, Satan would have come to him and said that we need to have a sovereign state and you need to be the king. Everybody who opposes you needs to die. Die? See, but an evil conscience looks at it and goes, yeah, man. Let me, let me bring that down to a level of you at work. You see your boss not functioning properly and you are serving and you're working hard, right? 
and you're doing all the numbers and the boss takes the credit for it and then a voice comes to you and says, you need to be the boss. I think I'll, I think I'll drink to that one. Huh? The voice doesn't come to you and says, you need to serve your boss. As he grows, you will grow. No, 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 no. You need to be the boss. And then now, you, you, you're like, yeah, man. Look at that guy, he doesn't even do anything. He just sits in the office and he, he doesn't even go for any sales meetings. And so now, the enemy starts feeding you. And every lie you believe sears your conscience. It sears your conscience. It sears your conscience, but at the same time, it is forming another conscience. Listen to me very carefully. This will save your life. It's not just Pol Pot that is the issue. It's every single pot in this room that is the issue. <laughs> yeah. All of us, all of us are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why is that happening? It's because evil still exists. It's not natural for us to wake up every morning and say, well, I'm just going to kill my boss today. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen. If it is, please, first go to the police. Okay, tell them your intentions. Don't come to me. Don't come. <laughs> It'll be called a mad pot. <laughs> Crackpot. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And God is saying, Woe! God is like, Woe! <laughs> He's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Hello. Sweet is sweet. Breakfast, sweet is sweet. Savory is savory. Don't get confused. Sweet is not salt. If that is what's happening in your life, you need prayer. You need deliverance from an evil conscience. Are you listening to me? Yes. You might ask me, John, what does this have to do with worship? But wait, I'm getting there. I'm just setting the platform and then it'll drop. You know, I went to uh, Universal Studios in America and they told me, hey, you need to do this Jurassic Park ride. I was like, oh, wow. He said, no, no, nothing. Just, you know, absolutely. It's just like you go on a boat around the water and you see all the dinosaurs. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool. They didn't tell me anything after that. It's like, you know, it's like casually going and I'm sitting and Kelsey's next to me and we're holding hands, literally, <laughs> holding hands. And these little dinosaurs come out of the water and they spit water on you, like, like that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, nice, nice. And then suddenly you start noticing there's blood in the water. Okay? And like heads and bodies floating around. And then all of a sudden it takes a turn and then now you're, you're, you're looking at a plane crash. Okay? It's phenomenal. You should go for it. 
you should go for it. And so now you're looking and dinosaurs now are trying to catch you as you're climbing up the plane. Right? There's an escalator that's taking you up the plane like that. You're sitting and you're like, whoa, you know, you're trying to duck and all that kind of stuff. Before you know it, you're 15 stories high. Right? You're like at the top of the plane. And then there's this big dinosaur that's coming out from the outside. Like that. And you can see him through the cracks of the plane and all that kind of stuff. And the plane's creaking like, like that. It's about to fall and break and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Before you know it, the dinosaur's coming like this. It's coming, it's coming, it's just about to take your head off and it's a 15-story drop. That's what's going to happen today. Okay, so, so, you know, so, <coughs> so I, I was just showing you the little, there's blood in the water, you know, the dinosaurs coming and spitting and making you feel nice and so, it'll be good today, okay? So the, the issue with Pol Pot was that his lifestyle, the choices that he made, was not pleasing to God. <laughs> Definitely, we, we all know it for sure. Why? It's because the nature of God is that he doesn't make good bad and bad good. He doesn't make good evil and evil good. You understand that, right? So there's a, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 10, if you can go there. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, and I'll read this. And it says, let us draw near to God with a true heart. Say true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Very interesting. Let me read it again so that you who just... Reached Hebrews 10, 22, can read it with me. Okay? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, so the word evil conscience is mentioned in the context of worship. It's mentioned in the context of approaching God. Are you with me? So he's talking, let us draw near to God with a full, with a true heart. Which means God does not accept someone who does not have a? Oh. Are you listening to me? Your worship is not worship if your heart is not true. Oh. You can come into this room and you'll be like, oh, you know, what's happening here? You know, like, I don't know, man. And, but if your heart is not true towards God, whatever you do in that moment is a dead work. It will only produce more deaths. Are you with me? And so he's saying, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water which means that God is looking for people who just don't worship but he's looking for people who offer a true heart oh. see because a lot of the times people come into church they worship in order to get their breakthrough 
They worship in order to feel right. They worship in order to feel the presence of God. They do all the stuff. They go to the temples and they offer puja and they go and pray five times a day and they do all the stuff that you need to do in order to get. But God is saying no. I am more interested in not what you do, but the state of your heart. Which means worship is not just singing. Worship is a lifestyle of choices that come from an ideology. Oh, come on. Worshiping God is lifestyle choices. Like Pol Pot decided to kill people. What are your everyday choices? Because God is interested in people who come to him with a true heart. Not a person who comes to him with an evil heart, but good actions. Oh, come on. He rejects the ones whose actions are holy, but the heart is impure. Come on, preach it. God looks at the heart before you do anything else. It's not that God doesn't accept your, your expression. God accepts. The channel through which you, God accepts your expression is from a heart that is pure. A heart that is good. A heart that is clean. But here he's saying a true heart. Which means a true heart is a person whose conscience is formed by the truth. She gets it. Do you understand? If your conscience your, your, is formed by your own ideology of what life should be like, of what the church should be like, or what your future should be like, then your conscience is formed according to that. And everything that you do from that place, if it's not God's word, it will produce dead works. Which means the job and the career that you thought was more important than God, that God gave you, but you put it up on a pedestal and you said, I'm going to pursue this. Eventually, you will lose it. Eventually, your life will start fading away. You will start seeing things around you that marriage is not what it used to be. Man, friendship with people is not what it used to be. These people, man, look at them. They're horrible people. I can't be around them. See, the issue is they can be horrible, but if their horribleness affects you, then there's a problem. Do you understand? You know, I was, I was grown up. I was grown up. I am grown up. I, was, I grew up with, with this understanding that don't hang out with certain kinds of people because those people will make you like them. So then, don't hang out with people of that religion because, whoa, they do witchcraft. And then don't hang out with these people because they do this. And don't hang out with those people. Don't hang out with Anglo-Indians because Anglo-Indians only party. Who do you hang out with? <laughs> huh? I come to church and all the Christians are so boring, man. Come on! Not this church, but you know. But I'm, I'm saying when I grew up, you know. Like everybody pretended to be holy, but uh, behind closed doors... Hey, party. Huh? Everything's happening behind closed doors. Because then if you get close, close to me, then I'll take you behind closed doors. That's what it means. <laughs> huh? And even in the church, you have four, so cliques that form. Filipino clique, Indian clique, British clique, Irish clique. Filipino clique, did I say that? Or, uh, Lithuanian clique. Huh? And so, and Pakistani clique. All the clicks, click, click, 
Everything's happening. Everybody's clicking in, in church. And now you come into church and you're like, hey man, this is an open environment. Everybody's friends with everybody. Right? And then you come here and you, you need to... Uh, there's a click? Oh, okay. What, what do I need to get into the click? No, it's a waiting, waiting period. It's a waiting time. You have to prove yourself that you are good. Then we'll bring you into the click. But once you get into the click, then you realize, man, these people don't live what they're talking about. That exactly happens in church all the time. People in the front, all the way to the back. <laughs> huh? When a new person walks into the church, they're like, wow, man, these people are so happy. Like, today I heard, you know, a new gentleman that walk, you know, he walked in for the first time. Not a new gentleman, but you know, <laughs> he came into the service for the first time. And he was like, man, I love the vibe. The, the energy in this room is awesome. It's because everybody's loving everybody. But I've been to places where, you know, you have to really work hard to be friends with people. It's very difficult. Unless you make biryani like Lily. <laughs> right? Only then will I speak to you in Tamil. Otherwise, English. English. Huh? Click, click. See, the issue with that is our actions don't communicate what's really in the heart. And God's looking at you coming to church. You hypocrite. You, he's looking at you. You want breakthrough? Huh? Breakthrough. It's breakthrough. It's coming. No. No. I can't give you the breakthrough because your heart cannot handle the breakthrough. God is interested in people who bring an offering. Let me tell you something. If you read through the Bible, every person that entered into the presence of God, God expected something of them. Try going to meet a king and not taking anything for him. Or people come to church and they forget to put money in the offering. Because what have you brought that is an offering that costs you something that is acceptable to him? What have you brought to church today that costs you something? It could be, hey, worship was like an hour, but then John came up and it went for an hour and a half. And my legs are hurting. You know when your legs are hurting and you want to sit, but you say, God, you are more worthy than the pain in my legs. That is worship to God. And Hebrews 10.22 says that, man, let us draw near to God with a true heart, full assurance of faith, and our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I would love for you to go to Hebrews chapter 9. I want to tell you something. Your offering speaks louder than your actions. What did you bring to God today? It could be a collective offering. My worship, my clothes, what I wore today, my time. The sacrifice of leaving my kids at home and coming here to the service so that I can be with God and God's people. It's all an offering. You woke up, you dressed up. 
Some well, some not well. <laughs> huh? You brushed your teeth. It's all an offering. No, no, you're not getting it. You're, you're, just, you're, you're just looking at me like I'm talking something else. Everything that you did today to come here into this room, you prepared yourself in such a way everything was watched. You opened your eyes. The minute you opened your eyes, God is watching. The thought process is, oh, I need to get the kids ready so that they can, they, can, they can come to church and we can be on time for worship. That sacrifice is an offering. Amen. It's not just singing, ladies and gentlemen. Singing is just one expression. But we get to do so much more. What did you bring today? Do you even know you brought an offering? The reason why you don't know you brought an offering is because your conscience is not confirming it. Oh, now, now that we're going, going little high now, 15th floor, we're reaching slowly. Watch for it, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, are you there? We're going to read a good amount of scripture today. I'm going to read from the NIV version, but you can follow me with whatever you have. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship. Say regulations. And also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had a golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Verse 5, above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Verse 6, when, are you listening? When everything had been arranged like this. The priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. Look at me now. Now we know that we are the temple of God. Right? When you're getting yourself ready to come to church, you are preparing your temple. Some of us are worried about external. God's looking at what's inside the tabernacle. Oh. Do you prepare your conscience, your heart for worship? Some of you might go clubbing on a Thursday night. And you don't feel like, well, past I'm young only once. That's why you'll remain young only once. But for the rest of us, we're young forever. Hey. Yeah. Right? But when everything had been arranged like this, which means God had instituted every single thing, where the lampstand should be, where the bread should be, where the offerings should be, where the curtain should be, what should be the incense, every single detail. Your conscience is formed by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If your conscience is not formed, then instead of the 
instead of the lampstand which has candles on it that signifies worship, you will have a mobile phone. Huh? Instead of bread which talks about the presence of God, you would have a movie. Getting very quiet now. Huh? Thursday night, party night. Instead of the incense over there, you'll have a whiskey bottle. Huh? And then you come on Friday, bringing all that junk in your trunk, and you come stand in front of the presence of God, and He's looking. Okay, whiskey, beer, TV, mobile phone, Facebook, Instagram. Don't let me get on that, but anyway. Huh? And then all the other stuff. Cigarettes. Should I go? Any more further? No. It's okay, no? You know what I'm talking about. Right? And then you stand. Oh, Jesus. I need a breakthrough. My finances, God. Today I give you my life. After 20 years of being a Christian, today again you're giving your life. And now your, your temple is filthy on the inside and you expect a holy God to come in and bring a breakthrough? Oh. Come on, what's in your conscience? What is in your heart? How do you prepare? How do you arrange yourself for a Friday service? Man, I'm telling you, you will not get me on a Thursday night. In fact, you will not get me on Thursday. Wednesday night is by chance. Only if it's a desperate situation. I will not meet anybody because I'm preparing my temple for Friday. You understand? The reason why I can say that doctor will not touch my wife and the insurance company will listen to what I'm saying is because the temple is in order. You understand? You understand? You don't need me in your life for a breakthrough. Really, you don't need me. You don't need the person sitting next to you. The breakthrough already exists on the inside. You just have to get your house in order. You have to get your temple in order. Verse 7, But only the high priest entered the inner room, which is the holiest place, and that too once a year and never without blood. Say blood. which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people who had committed sin in ignorance. Now look at me. Every day, priests could enter the outer court because everything was in order. Once a year, God would allow the high priest, pastor, apostle, prophet, you know, high, high, kind of, not like John, like those, yeah, very... Yeah, so high you can't even reach them. Huh? So those guys, once a year, that guy will go in. Right? Into the holiest of holies. But that guy cannot go in without blood. Do you understand? God wanted blood. Blood is good. Without it, you can't live. And so now you have this guy, this high priest, coming now before God, fearful that God will kill him. And he brings a blood of an animal. It, it could be a dove. It could be a lamb. It could be a bull. Whatever it is. It has to be spotless. It has to be innocent. It, cannot, it, cannot, it has to be blameless. And he brings this 
ball with a hyssop and he comes and God pulls him into the Holy of Holies. Mm. Every Friday was a regular worship. But that Friday, it felt like God pulled me in. Oh, no. No. You're not getting it. Even though you have your house in order, it could feel like a regular day worship. Because the priest could enter in regularly. But then when you brought blood, oh, something happened. Yes, something happened when you brought blood into the presence of God. Innocent blood. Although it is the blood of a goat or a bull or or a dove, it still gave you access into the presence. But see, but the thing is, the issue here is that that blood could not cleanse the intentional sin of the person. Only the unintentional sin of the man and an entire nation. Are you listening to me? Because the blood of an animal is not as innocent as the human blood. Oh, come on. Come on. That's why killing a person is, carries more of a, a sentence than killing an animal. No, you're not getting it. So now the, 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 the priest comes in and he brings in the blood of an animal and it only cleanses unintentional sin. What is unintentional sin? Well, it's like Kelsey and me go on a holiday to Europe and we've never been there before and we're driving a car and I'm driving. And of course, and um, as I'm driving, because if Kelsey drives the car, she looks at the road signs. I don't. Uh, I just listen to my wife. <laughs> so, 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 I'm driving around and I'm absolutely relaxed and I don't see, I don't, I don't see the speed limit anywhere on the road. And I'm speeding, thinking I'm in Dubai. 110, 120, Sheikh Zayed the road. And then after Jabal Ali, 140. Huh? And then without knowing, suddenly, you know, excitement, holiday, everything, my foot becomes a little heavy, I go, I speed over the limit, just a little bit, and a cop catches me, and he gives me a fine. My conscience is clean. It's an unintentional sin. But I have to pay the price. Oh, come on. Come on. I have to pay the speeding ticket. Right? And so now, Jesus and God is looking at Israel and saying, man, there's so much of unintentional sin. Animal blood can wash it. What about the sin you know you're doing? Behind closed doors, you slept with that woman. Behind, over there, you had a fight and you killed the guy. Huh? You stole somebody's sheep and goat those days. <laughs> I can't say bullock cart because they didn't have in those days. Chariots and horses, you know. Whatever it is, you, you, had, you intentionally looked, you, you, you connived and you, and you went and you took it. What about that sin? There was no way for a person to enter into the presence of God because of intentional sin. Today, it's very hard for us to wake up in the morning and think, man, I'm just going to set my house on fire. (laughs) You understand what what I'm talking about? You don't do that. But if you did, huh? If you did, And you planned it. Because there are people like that. They plan it. And they take their time and they watch. And they watch people. You have an evil conscience. 
And now that evil conscience is telling you to do things. It's not a demonic spirit, ladies and gentlemen. Forget about demons. Evil conscience. That evil conscience is telling you to look at that woman in the wrong way. Because it's the right thing to do. Oh, come on. Let's go to verse 8. The Holy Spirit, are you there? The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. As long as the first tabernacle was still functioning, huh? as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning, the way into the Holy of Holies was not disclosed. Listen to me very carefully. If you are worshipping God, if you're doing works in order to get a blessing, then the old tabernacle still exists. Are you with me? If you're, if you're not in grace and you're still in the law, and you're, you're doing this because you're fearful that God will punish you, you're still in an old tabernacle. And as long as the old tabernacle is still there, there is no way for intentional sin to be washed. Oh, come on. Do you understand? As long as you're still under the law, the old tabernacle is there and only unintentional sin is washed. You can go buy a goat from, from the supermarket, shed its blood, right? And you walk away and your unintentional sin is washed. You can put your hand on a goat even till today. People do it. Put their hand on the goat, confess their sin. Unintentional sin. And they're, they're washed. Till today you can do it. But then, what about the intentional sin? And the Holy Spirit is saying, man, as long as that old way of doing things still exists, as long as you're doing your pujas, as long as you're doing your five times a day, as long as you're doing all of that, your unintentional sin can be washed. What about the intentional sin? When you wake up and you really wanted to do something and you went ahead and did it. What about that sin? There is no animal blood that can wash the intentional sin of human beings. Are you with me? Let's read on verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to... Oh, no, no, no. Are you with me? Verse 9, this is an illustration. What is an illustration? As long as the old tabernacle is still there, huh? everything that you're doing in the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Wow. Pretty strong, isn't it? You come before God. You think you're going to God. But you have all these rules and regulations that you need to follow. Before you feel like you have peace. See, let me tell you something. Religion will make you to live under the law. And when you focus on fulfilling the law, you will find a sense of peace. But that peace is not cleansing your sin. That peace, that, that blood only cleanses the unintentional sin. Oh, come on. 
You can break coconuts from morning till night. You can go to Velankani and roll from one side to the other. All of that. You can do all of that. And only you will feel that unintentional sin is washed away. But you walk away and God looks at the state of your heart. And he's looking at your heart because in your heart carries that word of intentional sin. But as long as your conscience is pricking you, telling you that what you've done is wrong, then you don't need, God doesn't need to tell me to tell you. Do you understand? As long as your conscience, you're before God, I say, God, I made a mistake. It was my fault. I chose to do it. So listen, a lot of times people, like simple things, they overspeed and they say, God, oh, no, 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 I didn't know what I was doing. No, no, you knew what you were doing. And you go before God and you pretend to ask for forgiveness. And he's looking at the state of your heart and he's going, man, just at least speak the truth. Are you with me? You're getting distracted now. Is this helping you? Huh? You sure it's helping you? Verse 9, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the consciences of the worshipper. Verse 10, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Say new order. What it means is there's a new way. That God has made a way for each and every person to enter in. But also he made a way for your intentional sin to be washed. I asked the Lord, I said, God, this Pol Pot guy, if he truly repented of his sin, will you forgive him? And the Lord said, yes. Because the blood of Jesus is more powerful than your ability to sin. More powerful. It's more powerful. It has a more powerful voice than the voice of your sin. The blood of Jesus. It's the most powerful detergent on the planet. It can wash you. You just have to sprinkle. Few drops on you and you're done. Finished. Intentional, unintentional, all of them are clean. The blood of Jesus. So Jesus now comes on the scene and he presents a new way. Do you want to know the new way? Go to John chapter 4. I'm glad you asked me that. Do you have time? Are you there? John chapter 4? Yes. It's a pretty familiar story and it's always been preached about worship or evangelism or the prophetic. Right? Yeah. This, this story. But I want to present to you that it's not about all of that. It's about the conscience. Okay? So, <clears throat> Jesus 
meets a woman. Jesus is a Jew. Okay? Judaism is an ideology. Okay? He meets a Samaritan. They're Samaritans because they have an ideology. Both don't coexist. Which means your ideology, I don't accept. And you don't accept my ideology. Okay? So which means India, Pakistan. Okay? Or England, Australia. That's only, only, only for you. But you're not from England, are you? No. Scotland. What, what is Scotland enemies with? With England. Scotland and England. <laughs> right. And so, the Samaritans, now listen very carefully. This is where the conscience, you'll understand how the conscience is formed. The Samaritans were also God's people. They were Israelites. They're born out of the tribe of Joseph. And they, they, they thought, they assumed that they were Levites. Okay? And they, they've said, man, these Jews, they're not God's people. They don't have God's word. We have God's word. Okay? They have their own Torah written in their language. Okay? And they said, these Jews, okay? Not Jews, Jews. <laughs> Because they were, listen, because they were in captivity, their Judaism was influenced by their captives. Do you understand? But these boys said, God told us that on Mount Gerizim is where the presence of God will come. And God, Jews are saying, God said that in Jerusalem is the place where God's presence dwells. So now there's fight. You take one mountain, I'll take one mountain. Okay, so this is the issue. I'm giving you this, this context of what is happening here. Okay, and we'll read from verse 5. Okay, before, sorry, before that. The ideology of the Samaritans caused them to have their conscience formed. Do you understand? Because I, you don't accept my ideology, I, don't, uh, I can't deal with you. I can't be friends with you. I can't accept because you're from another religion. I'm Christian. You are whatever. I can't accept you. You understand? It's stupid. But it happens. Okay. So now, her, she comes to Jesus. So, verse 5. He came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Then the woman of Samaria came to draw water. It's just an everyday chore. Okay? She came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to, into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay? Now look at me. Her ideology of Samaritanism created a view that hindered her from seeing Jesus as he is. Do you understand? If your ideology, if your conscience is formed by anything else other than God's word, which is the truth, you will create a, a block in your eye that will veil you from seeing God as he is. 
And so Jesus now comes to her and he says, hey, can I have a wa- some water to drink? I mean, it's a simple request. Can I have some water? Why do you need to bring India-Pakistan in between, man? I'm just asking you water. Why do you need to bring up how much Tendulkar made the last time he played Pakistan? You don't have to bring up that stuff. We're taking context the husband and wife. Right? This is, this is misunderstanding some years ago. And the wife is holding on to it. And now the husband comes home tired from work and he says, Oh, honey, I'm, I'm so hungry. But you did not do this for me. But, but you said that to me. But that happened five years ago. Why are you still bringing it up? You, you understand? Your conscience is formed. You understand how easy it is for your conscience to form? Are you with me? Now, you need to understand that worship is a response to God's word. Okay? Be very careful. Now the drop is happening. Worship is a response to God's word. But I want to ask you a question, two questions. How are you sure that you know God? Hmm? You can say you're a Christian, but how, how can you prove to me, without all your miracle signs and wonders, without all of the stuff that God has done for you, to you in your heart, how can you prove to me that you know God? Right? Second thing is how do you know that you are worshipping God and your worship is accepted? Come on. Come on. Preach it. Huh? Remember, we're talking about the conscience now. Listen, I'm telling you, if you want to really understand worship, you have to sit under my teaching. I'll teach you how to worship. How do you know? Man, I'm looking at all these people. I come into the place and I get caught up and then I do what they do and I've been doing that for so many years. But do I really know God? And do I know for shadow of a doubt? That my worship, every single word, every single thing that I do, every choice that I make every single day is worship to God. How do I know that? How do I know that I am in the presence of God 24-7 and I'm living my life in the presence of God? How do I know that? I'm glad you asked me. See, worship is a response to God's word. But worship is a revelation of the heart that understands a divine truth huh? and confirms it. Worship is the revealing of the state of your heart to God in response to his word. Do you understand? Every time you're sitting now in this room and you're listening to me and you're like tired like that. Your response to God right now in your expression is revealing to God the state of your heart. Do you understand? You want to sit, to, you really want to worship God? Let me tell you, blinking your eyes is worship to God. Because that's how he created you. Walking, making choices is worship to God. 
It's not just singing, clapping, dancing. That's just an expression. But it comes from the state of the heart. But how do you know that you know God? Because worship reveals the state of your heart. What tells you in your heart that you know God? No. Your worship doesn't tell you. Your worship doesn't tell. It talks to God and reveals your heart, but it doesn't tell you anything. Hmm. We're talking about the conscience. Remember that. Many people come into church and worship God, but their hearts don't even know Him. Huh? People, I've been worship leading for many years. I've stood with people on the stage and led worship. They have no clue who God is. They can't even describe God to me in five lines. If I were to ask you today, can you describe God to me? Personally, between you and me. Talk to me and tell me who is God. Come on, come on, preach it. Huh? Tell me, can you describe him to me? Without super spirituality, can you talk to me and tell me who God is to you? Many Christians fail at that. And you know, that's the reason why we lose at the world. We can't talk about a God. We, we don't even know this God. We know him externally. We know his miracle signs, wonders. We know the Bible. We know all the scripture verses. Do you know him in your heart? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Come on, man. Jesus is talking to a, a heathen, a person of another religion, a person who doesn't know him. And, and he, he's saying, give me water. And she says, but you're a Jew. I'm a, there's a separation. But he says, if you only knew who's asking you for something. We look at the Bible and we see, wow, God desires your give unto the Lord an offering. And you come into church. And you have an opinion about the offering. Oh my gosh. Man, you, what worship are you doing? Please, listen to what I, please be careful. If you're a Christian, be careful. This is not an easy cakewalk. You've got to walk righteously. You've got to hold yourself before God. You can't just say, oh, by grace, by grace, by grace. No, 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 no. By grace, through faith. You've got to live by faith. I'm coming to understand something, okay? Based on this verse, I'm coming to understand something that if God asks me for something, which means he wants me to ask him for that thing. Based on this verse, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks, that says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. I'm, I'm coming to understand that every time God asks me to pray for the sick, he's actually saying, I want to pray for the sick. Every time he says, I want, I want you to give into the offering, it means that he wants to give you an offering. Every time, every time he says, go to church, it means that he wants to come to church. Oh, come on. 
every time he says, hey, sing the songs that are on that wall, is because he wants to. So which means if, if, God, if God is asking me for water, I can ask him for living water. If there is something in the physical that God is asking me, that means that thing in the physical has a supernatural element attached to it. Oh, come on. I'm trying to teach you. But, uh, listen, listen, listen very carefully this side because I don't know if you're getting it. Every time God asks you for water, he wants to give you living water. The living water, when it comes into you, does not just come into you and goes out, but it becomes a river of living water that flows out of you. Understand this, that when God asks you for money, He's not saying give money because John wants it. He's saying give money so that I can give you money. But here's the beauty in what God does. What we do has a limitation. Because it's physical. But when He does something, Huh? When he does something, it's limitless. It's living. It's uh, no. Oh, come on. The money in your bank account starts living. Uh, come on, man. Uh, if God says, "I want you to pray for the sick and they can so they can get healed," it's because He wants to give you health. Now, if you, if you are asking, if you're saying, God, okay, I want to pray for the sick and I pray for the sick. Now, you are opening the door for God to give you health in abundance. Yes. Yes. Amen. 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 Good work. Good work. Come on, man. You're going to get it. He's like, stop begging people. Stop asking for things. Do you, what do you have in your hand? Come on, come on. Good word. What do you have? Good word. God is asking for that. What do you have to offer him? It may not be money, but it could be a heart. But let me tell you something. That's all he wants. That's all he's looking for. He's only looking for your heart. He'll ask you for money because money has gripped your heart. Come on, come on. Come on. He'll ask you for prosperity because prosperity has gripped your heart. It's become a conscience. It's formed in you. And so he's like, I just want a true conscience. I want a true heart. I just want a true heart without anything that defiles it, without anything that, uh, that's attached to it. Can you give it to me? Give it, give it. Just give it. And when you give it to him, he takes it. And now he takes what could die and he makes it living. Come on now. Man, that's why we dedicate children to God. Do you get it? Do you understand it now? That's why we have baby dedication. We say, God, we dedicate. Because a child who could have died will live. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, get it. You got to get it. Worship is just not singing. Man. Worship is just not singing. Every single thing that you do, God is looking to see whether you do it unto Him. In fact, Paul says, everything that you do, do it unto God. Which means every single, listen, listen to me. Every single thing 
Every choice that you make every day has the ability to live. If you can only do it unto God. You will not do it unto God if your conscience has another ideology. If your conscience is making you the God of your life. Do you understand? If your conscience is saying, man, everybody needs to work for you. God needs to work for you. Our church needs to work for you. You need the breakthrough, right? They need to bring it. If that is your mindset, then your ideology has formed your conscience that will now push you when people don't do what you want them to do. I think I'm preaching to the right church. Am I fast? Are you okay? Thank you, man. Thank you for your grace. I really appreciate it. It's a good word. All he said was, give me a drink. But in that question, there's a desire for living water. And not, not for the lady, his desire. He wants to give you a living it's like, I don't get it. I don't get why people don't worship God. I don't get it when people just stand and look. I don't get it when people don't jump and run to the offering and put money in the offering box. I don't, I don't understand when people don't jump and go to life group. I don't, I, don't, I don't see the excitement in their heart because, you know what? The reason why it's not there is because there's nothing in you that tells you you know God. So everything that you're doing, you're doing hoping. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an old covenant. Yeah. Working. And so all you ever feel is a little peace. Mm. Because it's unintentional sin is just washed away. Mm. So you feel like, wow, you know, God has forgiven me. But actually, there's intentional sin. Sin since Adam that's in you. Mm. That is working its way out of you. That God wants to deal. But... Mm. You've you got to worship. You've got to give him something. You've got to lift up your offering to God. Listen, let me tell you something. When life began, Kelsey and I never had any money. Okay? But we took a step of faith and God decided that this was what he wanted. And because of that, what I offered to him he blessed. Amen. Do you understand? Do you understand? It's worship. Why do we worship for so long? Why do we sing for so long? Why do we say, No, no, no. Everything, every syllable that comes out of your mouth, every sound, vocal cord, everything that, that, that lifts up anything to God, my God, it's worship. He's looking at it and saying, it's come from the right place. It's come from a person who knows me comes from a person who knows me your offering to God smells different when it comes from a true heart it comes from a real heart a heart that is formed by the truth not just your opinions not just your opinions of what you should be like or what your life should be like or what your family should be like man it should be according to the word are you okay I'm a little passionate, but Trevor, we need it. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, 
she still doesn't get it. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as the sons, as his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, he answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst again and the water that I shall give him will become in him. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, listen, the water that I shall give him will become in him. Somebody say new way. Not no way, new way. Okay? The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you remember the story that I shared just after worship about your tent? That's what he's talking about. If you have your tent and you're worshipping God in your tent, God visits your tent and your tent becomes a place of resource. We, you don't have to go to Moses' tent to ask for the presence of God. You can have the presence of God in your tent. Do you understand? It's the new and living way. God has taken the ministry from one man and now he said, everyone. Everyone has it. Everyone can be the source. It's when everyone comes together and they start pouring out this living water. Now that living water is like many rivers that come together and it sounds like heaven is in the room because every single person is releasing living water of worship to God. Are you with me? Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Huh? Go call your husband and come. Then the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. It's very interesting, isn't it? A clean conscience, when he communicates touches a person's heart that confronts them about a lifestyle of sin. If you, are, if you have a clean conscience and all you're talking about is regular daily stuff with people, people will walk away feeling convicted about sin. If that's not happening, check your heart. Pretty steep, isn't it? It's falling. Huh? Then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers, huh? There we go. Now, listen, listen to this. This is very awesome. Okay? God is pointing out to a lifestyle choice that came from an ideology of Samaritanism. Samaritanism was a mix of heathenism, okay, and a bit of other stuff. 
other religions mixed into one and they had their own religion which allowed them to sleep around. Do you understand? You can have many husbands. Okay? You can live in sin. It's okay. But we go to the mountain to worship. Do you understand? And now Jesus is talking to her and he says, where's your husband? A clean conscience convicts a person, which means the seed of God's word went straight into her spirit man. And it brought out the truth. Do you understand? That was worship. And Jesus says, now you're speaking the truth. Do you understand? Even though she's confessing her sin and she said, man, I don't even, I don't have a husband, but the one I'm sleeping with is also not my husband. He says, in that, you have truly said. Then he accepts her. Do you understand? We go to God and lie to him. And we try to put on a Christian dialogue. We put on biblical language before God. And he's like, nah, nah. Just tell me what you did. Just tell me what you did last summer. <laughs> Tell me what you did in Las Vegas. Because it didn't stay there, it came to me. Right? And the God, and she's saying, oh, God. And she's saying, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she begins to talk about worship. Why is she talking about worship? Because Jesus pointed out a lifestyle choice which came from an ideology which was worshiping Satan. This is where you need to get it. He pointed out that she was worshipping another God. But her confession to Jesus, Jesus now speaks the truth and brings her to the right form of worship. And then she starts talking. Oh, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And then Jesus drops it and he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, <clears throat> worship the Father, you worship, sorry, you, 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now please don't misunderstand that line. Salvation doesn't mean that only Jews can bring salvation. It means that God's Savior was born through the Jewish race. That's all it means, okay? So don't get in, into a fight with that, all right? But he's trying to say, he said, you don't know who you worship. We know who we worship. Why is he saying that? See, the conversation is really not about water and husbands and all that kind of stuff. The conversation is, does your conscience tell you, does your conscience confirm to you that you're worshipping God? Because if your conscience is not confirming that you're worshipping Jesus, then either you have an evil conscience or your conscience is defiled. Do you understand? He's talking about the conscience. This whole time, he's just talking about the conscience. He's pulling out stuff to talk about the heart. He says, if your heart is filled with truth, then it doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter what your expression is. Everything is worship to God. 
But if your heart is defiled, then you'll say, oh, no, no, only IPC. Only Orthodox is the way. Do you understand? Yeah. Only Judaism is the way. Only this church is the best church and only they have the presence of God and only they can change my life. There's a problem with that. Yeah. It's a conscience that is defiled that does not even recognize Jesus in the room. Come on. Wow. Do you understand? Let's have the worship team up. I'll just have Tabi come up. The rest all can enjoy the moment. Is Tabi here? I want you to write this down. Are you ready? You're writing it down. True worship is a physical act that arises from understanding divine truth that is a reality in the conscience. We're going to get into communion now, okay? Because I'm going to read something to you that will talk to you about the new way. True worship is a physical act that arises from understanding divine truth that is a reality in the conscience. If your conscience is formed by the truth of God's word, it will confirm to you that what you're doing now is worship. That that money that you put in the box is worship. That little money that you gave to a person on the street is worship. It will confirm to you that the body and the blood of Jesus is the body and the blood of Jesus. A lot of people get into communion mode and they just think that, well, man, that's just bread, bread and juice says do it as often as you please and so that's all they do but if your conscience is true the level of honor in your heart for that piece of bread and that juice will be so high that it will be worship true worship to God Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11 says, But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. I want to ask you in this room, are you made of human hands? then he's talking about you. He's talking about heaven, but he's also talking about you. And he says, he did not enter, verse 12, by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. 
Redemption from what? Redemption, yeah. From evil. Jesus did not enter. You need to understand that the tabernacle of Moses was a replica of what is in heaven. That tabernacle still exists. As long as you have the tabernacle on the earth, that tabernacle is not in effect. As long as Moses and the law is still active in your life, then heaven cannot invade your life. You want the breakthrough? You want supernatural? Right? You want supernatural? There's only one way you can have supernatural moving in your life is if you get rid of the old tabernacle. If you get rid of the old ideology, if you get rid of the old religion, if you get rid of all the stuff that you think God is and you accept the truth. The truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And He came to save you. He came to set you free. He came to redeem your life from the sin and the death and the destruction that your life is heading in. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, that's only for the unbelievers. But for the believers, you can be saved and have Jesus living on the inside of you, but have an evil conscience and committing sin after sin after sin. And everything that you do is a dead work. It's not producing life. For you, the blood is still there. Even for you, the blood has come to redeem you. It's not just cleansing you of of unintentional sin. It's cleansing you of the time when, when you fell into temptation last night and you were tempted to pick up your phone and look at that photograph of that woman in your phone. And you did it intentionally. That sin only the blood of Jesus can cleanse. Are you listening to me? Only the blood of Jesus. And He has made a way. Say a way. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once and for all by His own blood. Why His own blood? Because His own blood carried the voice of innocence. His own blood carried the voice of His perfect conscience. It's the Christ conscience, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Word. How did Jesus become flesh? The Word made Him flesh. It was the conscience, the Christ conscience that became flesh. It was the heart of God that became a man. Oh, come on. You're looking at me like as if I'm... This is awesome. And how can, how can I get into this place? I want to be in the place where miracle signs and wonders are happening all the time. I want to be in heaven. I want to be in the place where God's presence dwells. You cannot get in if your conscience is evil. If your conscience is defiled, it blocks you from seeing God. But He has made a way. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more than will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our Come on now. No, no, no. You need to read it. Verse 14. Read it with me. Read it with me. How much more then will the blood of 
Oh, wait. Get to Hebrews 9, please. This is your worship. This is not a time to finish and end of the service we get emotional. This is your worship. Get to this verse. Hebrews 9 verse 14. Let's read it together. 1, 2, 3. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our from acts that lead to so that we may serve the living God. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. I know I took a little longer than usual because my wife is not here to tell me. But I needed you to understand. Just wait, just wait, just wait. I needed you to understand the importance of living a life of worship. The importance of living a life of worship. It just doesn't happen. Oh, I'm saved today. I'm, I'm a Christian. Okay, now everything, everything is good. No, no. That now begins the journey of cleansing and renewing your mind. Transformation in your life does not come through works. Transformation comes when your mind is renewed by God's word. It's not the bulls and goats. It's not the pujas and the offerings and all of that that make you holy. It's only the blood of Jesus. But see the beauty in this is that Jesus entered in once and for all. Which means Jesus today, our high priest, who speaks on behalf of you and me, is in the presence. The most holiest place. The most divine, the most clean place. He's standing right there. And the Bible says that when you got saved and you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are in Christ, seated in heavenly places. I want to tell you something. There are people today who are in the presence of God don't even know it. You live your life every single day not even knowing what Christ has done for you. When you don't know that you're in the presence of God every day, every work that you do is a dead work. I want you to understand the seriousness of the conscience. The way into the Holy of Holies is a cleansed conscience. It's a holy conscience. It's a conscience that is absolutely pure. God expects you Listen to me. God expects you to be like Him. Not act like Him. Be like Him. It's the only way that you stand before Him and you can say, God, look at my heart. I stand sinless before you. Why is my life not blessed? I stand before God. There are days, ladies and gentlemen, I stand before God and I say, God, what's wrong with me? Why are you blessing my enemies and not me? What have I done? Am I in sin? Is my conscience defiled? What have I done to, to deserve not being blessed? I mean, do you ever ask God that question? What does he say after that? 
It's very interesting. He will reveal to you areas of your heart that are still not His. Areas of your heart that are, that are still not telling you that you're in the presence of God. You go to work and something happens at work and it, it affects you. Man, would you believe my wife, huh? The disease is so much now in her stomach that she looks four months pregnant. It's swelling so much at such a fast pace. It's spreading so much that it looks like she's four months pregnant. She's walking around like she's holding a baby like that. And she's saying, I want to come to church. But even with that happening, does it really stop me from doing what God has called me to do? No, no, no. Please, I'm not saying that because I want you to clap for me. No, 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 no. I want you to know that I'm fully convinced that God is for me. I am fully convinced that while I am here, angels are ministering to my wife. God Himself is ministering to my wife. I am fully convinced. That's why I can stand here confidently before God and I can say, God, bless me. How many of you can say, stand before God and say, God, I am sinless. I don't have anything in me that is not of you. Everything that I have, Lord, you will find something or the other. If you have something or the other in your heart, it disqualifies you from asking God to bless you. But I want to tell you something. The blood. When you are aware that you are in the most holy place, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, You sleep in the Holy of Holies. You wake up in the Holy of Holies. You go to work in the Holy of Holies. You look after your children and you feed them and you pay your bills in the Holy of Holies. When you come into that understanding, now you begin to live from heaven to earth. That's when you begin to make an impact on the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, we're still trying to, to knock on heaven's doors so that, so that we can get into the presence. But that's the lie that the church has taught you. You are already in. Why? It's because Jesus went in, never came out. Once and for all, His blood cleansed you and made you righteous. Are you listening? Don't fade off because you're in the Holy of Holies. I can talk the way I talk. It's not because I'm arrogant. It's because I'm confident. I know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to make you fearful of me. No, you don't understand what fear is. The fear that I have is our fear of God. Not a fear of man. I have a reverence for God that I know how powerful He is. I stand in His presence. God is looking for people who will, not, who will stand and minister to God. Not sit down and fall asleep. Who would stand and minister to Him. Who would say, God, I'm in heaven right now. I'm in this place right now, God. And, I, and I'm worshipping You. And I'm giving You my all right now. It's because I'm already in heaven. <laughs> 